Welcome to Health Impact's Digital Health Talks, produced by Purpose Events, hosted by the Health Impact Live team, Megan Antonelli, Emily Raish, and Shahid Shah, Health Impact Chair and CEO and Publisher of Medigy. Each week, we bring you stories from the healthcare providers and technology leaders focused on fixing America's healthcare system. They'll discuss how their organizations are using technology to improve access, equity, and quality. For more than 10 years, we have been your no BS resource for the digital health tools that matter to patients and providers. Join us every Tuesday to learn how programs in telehealth, data analytics, cloud, 5G, artificial intelligence, and machine learning are improving patient experience and health outcomes across the globe. Welcome to the Health Impact 2020 session on innovation. These days uh, in the post-COVID world, innovation has seemed to get even faster uh, than we have ever seen it before. Even in modern times with all the AI and RPA and telemedicine and everything that we saw before uh, the uh, COVID pandemic uh, caught, reared this ugly head. What I've heard uh, from a number of uh, innovators, and we have a lot of innovation folks in the health impact audience, and of course we have some excellent panelists, which I'll introduce in a second. We've been hearing this problem that what used to take two years to do in healthcare now has to be done in two weeks or four weeks or six weeks. And so what we're seeing is innovation in healthcare can absolutely happen quickly. The question is, is it the right thing? Are we doing it the right way? Are we getting the benefits that we need from it uh, for patients and their caregivers? Those are the kind of things that we're going to really talk about today. So with that, I'm going to introduce uh, my panel here, starting with uh, Ashma. Ashma, tell us a little bit about yourself, and then we'll have uh, Rasu and Chris introduce themselves as well. Thank you so much, and uh, honored to be here in this virtual virtual fashion. Uh, I lead healthcare strategy for the industry and uh, lead building of transformative solutions for Google Cloud. And uh, it's been uh, quite a trying time for all of us. And thank you for doing this and bringing us all together here. Oh, uh, it's absolutely our pleasure. I mean, uh, what what we're hoping is that there are a lot of people in the community, uh, especially uh, uh, physicians' offices and smaller hospitals where they can't always afford to get out. Uh, and so having you guys uh, take the time uh, from your schedules and, and talk to the audience about what you're doing at uh, Atrium and Sutter and Google is just going to be fantastic and everybody's going to find it quite useful. So it's, it's absolutely our pleasure. Uh, Rasu, tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, thank you. Also, a pleasure to be here virtually. Uh, this is the, the new normal, the next normal, as we're calling it. Well, I'm Razu Shrestha. I'm a radiologist by background. I'm the Chief Strategy and Transformation Officer here at um, Atrium Health. Uh, Atrium is a fairly large, multi-state uh, integrated delivery network. Uh, we're about 50 hospitals, 70,000 teammates, headquartered out of Charlotte here in North Carolina. And, and we have a presence in North Carolina, South Carolina, and Georgia, which if you think about COVID and, and the way that it's really playing out, you know, things are really 
continuing to heat up here. Um, so uh, that's that's what I do, and where I where I come from really is the perspective of how do we really leverage innovation as a strategic imperative to transform health systems and use this opportunity to really make meaningful change happen. So looking forward to the conversation ahead. Thank you, Shadi. Absolutely, and and of course, uh, some of you may follow Rasu online. He's a uh, he, he tweets a lot, uh, does write a lot, does speak a lot. Well, as are the panelists, but uh, he's got a, a good amount of reach. So if you're just looking for some, if you're bored on an afternoon, just start watch, reading his tweets, and uh, it'll give, like Ashima said earlier, uh, some good inspiration to you. Chris, great to be here. My name is Chris Waugh, and I'm the Chief Design and Innovation Officer at Sutter Health, also a large integrated system here in Northern California. Uh, where we're treating the, you know, the elite of Silicon Valley all the way to some of the poorest zip codes in Northern California. So we like to think that we're a good representation of U.S. health overall and have about 10,000 physicians and 55,000 employees. So this has been a, a fascinating time. Um, we definitely hate that it's built on the backs of a pandemic, but um, it has uh, radically accelerated the innovation agenda. So excited about this conversation today and thanks for pulling us together. Sure. Yeah. Let's and maybe let's just start with that. Uh, so the radical acceleration, as you've said, um, is uh, something that we're all seeing. But uh, what does that happen to do with the culture of uh, innovation? So, for example, if you were not innovative before, do you think that now the uh, change in uh, dynamics of how fast the pandemic is progressing in different ways? changes your culture and makes you more innovative because you have no choice? Or if you were not innovative before, things just get worse after the pandemic. Uh, what are you guys seeing? And maybe uh, I'd love, since you said it, uh, radical acceleration, uh, yeah. Chris, tell us a little bit about that. And yeah, we'll have I, time in I think pre-pandemic, pre we had pockets, really hot pockets of innovation happening in the system. And during the pandemic, we saw the whole system turn and crave new tools. So the obvious one would be virtual care. And we saw a few things happen. One, we saw regulatory changes that allowed some of that care that wasn't reimbursed to be reimbursed. We saw a pull from uh, patients that normally might not be requesting that type of care. And we had a physician base that wanted it too. So all of a sudden, it was this trifecta of everyone wanting the same thing. From a design perspective, you know, we look at it through the lens of human factors, and we saw uh, things like uh, physicians say, I've seen this patient for a very long time. He's in a wheelchair and I thought he was doing just fine but now I see the virtual visit and his wife was in the background and she said he's not doing well at all and so I think those things are, are really obvious but um, uh, the innovation team has seen opportunities in things like lactation support you know thinking about virtual visit and lactation support is really different it's not just a video visit you know and so really thinking through those human factors uh, has been not only is the technology ready and the polls there but then how do you overlay new, new modes of delivering care as if this was the first time you'd done it? And we like that clean slate feel. So not just replicating what you were doing in person, but how do you use this opportunity as the first foray into fundamental rethinks of the care? So that's what excites us. The change is a little tiring. I think the system is, you can feel a little of the change fatigue, but uh, I will say that, um, you know, we've just seen tremendous adoption of AI, virtual visit, uh, because of so many factors all lining up at the same time due to COVID. 
Yeah, and we heard, uh, of course, uh, for years that if only reimbursement could change, if only HIPAA rules were relaxed a little, then the following would happen. And I think that experiment has borne out in real life. Rasu, jump in a little bit, talk about two things. One is the fact that these changes occurred, especially on the reimbursement and uh, relaxation of the HIPAA rules. Uh, how fast were you guys able to accommodate at Atrium and have the dollars actually matched the reimbursement requests? Like we're hearing a lot of smaller and middle-sized uh, healthcare providers be able to send their claim, but it's not like the money is rolling in. Are you hearing the same thing or are you seeing uh, uh, some differences there? And, that's to, uh, and then uh, talk a, a little bit more about what Chris was talking about. As you start to look at your culture uh, has it gotten better, uh, innovation gotten better and easier, or did it get much worse? Yeah, um, so really interesting discussion here. I think one of the, one of the most remarkable differences, um, you know, pre-COVID and sort of this next normal that we're living in right now is that innovation was this cool thing. It was this department, it was this division, it was this group, you know, on the side that, uh, that did some really amazing, cool things, design thinking, sticky notes, you know, all of the things that we're all disciplined scholars of. Uh, what's different now is that innovation is a strategic imperative, right? You cannot afford not to be innovative. It's not just this cool thing on the side. It is the thing that you do. It is what gets you um, continuing to actually make an impact in, in whether it's the care that you're providing, whether it's um, the interactions that you're having with your communities and with the populations that you're trying to treat. Um, you know, what's really interesting is um, COVID-19 has, I think in many ways, really accentuated the fault lines that already existed in healthcare, right? Uh, those fault lines already existed. I mean, in Charlotte, um, in the southeast here, North South Carolina, Georgia, one of the things that's really startling, I've been here a uh, little over a year, year and a half now, and one of the things that's really startling is the difference between the haves and the have-nots. You know, the, the disparity could not be uh, more stark. And, uh, and when you look outside, you know, we, we see, you know, amazingly tall skyscrapers, you know, Bank of America, you know, all of these banks. Charlotte is the second largest financial hub in the country after New York, but it's also number 50 in the top 50 metropolitan cities when it comes to upward mobility, meaning if you're born poor, chances are you'll stay poor. And I think if anything, COVID-19, the economic implications of COVID-19, and then the racial inequalities and the tensions that have arisen, it, it, they're all tied together. And those three punches in the gut that we've seen in the last four months, I think really uh, shine a light onto the, both, both the challenge as well as the opportunities at hand, right? The challenge of, all right, how do you how do you fix the gap between the haves and the have-nots? And the opportunity there is really, let's tie innovation back into that strategic imperative. Let's make sure that we're able to, you know, take some of the early wins. Uh, you mentioned, um, you know, some reform, uh, whether it's around HIPAA or whether it's around uh, potentially even telemedicine, virtual, you know, there's parity now um, that I think is still temporary. I, I'm not sure that it's permanent just yet, payment parity and such. But it needs to be permanent, right? It, it needs for, um, for, for this to be tightly embedded into the very essence of what we do. Telemedicine shouldn't just be a, a Band-Aid solution that came to the rescue of COVID-19. 
it's not a band-aid solution. It's a fundamental foundation of care redesign and care transformation. So I think if we think about it from that perspective, where innovation is tightly coupled to your strategic imperative, whether you're a large health system like us or, or a smaller health system or a small private practice sitting somewhere, that's the way to really make, uh, make progress moving forward. Yeah, so think, let's, uh, I love what uh, Chris just said about um, the rethink or the idea that imagine you were doing care for the first time. What, Rasu, would that look like uh, for an atrium, the size of atrium? I mean, you guys are, are a huge institution. Uh, how did that, does that shift culturally what you're doing? And, and, and I'd love for uh, Chris to jump in and say what couple of examples uh, yeah. do you have from there? And then Ashima, I want from your uh, perspective on the Google side, you guys see things across these industries. I would love to see what that rethink uh, has looked like. So Rasu, tell us any rethinking has occurred there? Uh, at yes, definitely. There's been a lot of rethink. You know, in this VUCA environment that we function in, the volatility, the uncertainty, the complexity, the ambiguity, one of the things that we quickly realized is that we have to rethink the way that we're actually um, you know, interacting with our patients and our communities and our consumers. So one specific example that I give you is really around our consumer journey. I think for the longest time uh, in healthcare, we've really been focusing on the care element, right? The healthcare, in fact, the sick care element. And one of the things that we've, we've started to do at Atrium that really has been, I think, uh, accelerated as a result of what we've seen with that trifecta of punches that I mentioned earlier, is the need for us to really think across the consumer journey, the transformative consumer experience that we're talking about in and building here at Atrium Health. So it's not just focused on care, which is absolutely important, but it's 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 full circle. It starts with awareness, the consideration, the selection, the care, the advocacy, and then back into awareness. And I think it's it's that circle around the consumer, around that patient that sits in the middle, in the communities, in the context that they live um, and, and work in and play in. That's the element that was missing in many ways in, in transforming the experience element, not just the the transactional elements of healthcare that we've been so focused in on, but the experience element. And, and so, you know, that's one example of how we're rethinking uh, the care paradigm altogether. No, that sounds great. And Chris, uh, uh, any examples that uh, uh, some of our audience members who are coming from uh, community health systems, smaller right. settings, what could they do to learn about this rethink, as you've said? Yeah, I think I, I, I love what Russ, uh, you said there around, you know, thinking holistically and if he mentioned sick care and I think this is the insight from the innovation team out is you're your own doctor 99.9% .9 of the time. And so in this world of sort of always on care for us, the thesis is the care comes to you. You don't come to it. And the innovation teams worked on something we call the tedium score, which just is the time wasted, whether that's driving to an appointment, doing a search, like where's the wasted loops where we could clean that up. Um, and reduce the tedium score and get to resolutions really quickly, uh, but really get in a position of empowering and really changing uh, the dynamic between a care team member who's telling you what to do to a many-to-many -many model. If there's many people around you. What does that look like? And we're starting to see shifts with virtual care where, you know, a physician I talked to recently had a daughter in Hawaii, the patient was in Sacramento, and another member of the family had uh, virtually piped in from Oregon. And it was like, wow, this is, this is a whole new way to empower uh, the patient, their family back to that think from scratch. And so 
we think the care comes to you. We think that it is continuous and always on in this world. And I can't wait to get to Google where we look at things like uh, continuous data feeds spinning off the patient's life in their consent and that being piped back into the care plan and the feedback loop. And we're testing this with things like sleep, et cetera. Um, and then ultimately it's about making it radically more affordable. If you, we take out two of the most expensive features, which is um, a physician and a physician's time, who else is part of the care team on our side, thinking expansively about that. And any community center can think about that as well. You don't need to be big to think that way. In fact, you may even be more advantaged to think that way. And then think about um, who's on the care team on their side. And once you start reshuffling the deck chairs on who's on whose team, and then thinking about continuous data flows and feedback loops, you know, this is, this is all brand new and it shifts radically from sort of interstitial care where we will prop people back up and do a great job of doing that, give them medication, et cetera, and then they go back on the world and maybe they're successful, maybe they're not, maybe we don't know. Uh, and then how do we flip that to knowing loops? How do you know what happened? How do you um, support the feedback loop and keep a patient going uh, in a successful trajectory? So really excited about that, always on care, always uh, continuous, more data feeds, and then ultimately radically more affordable. We build some pretty expensive buildings. Um, do we need those as much as we thought we did? Yes, you need some. It's not, we don't think there's a building-less care model, but what's one where the building, it works in harmony with the digital experience and you only are in that building when you absolutely need to be versus just because it was convenient for us to have you come. So yeah, I'd love to hear uh, the Google perspective as well. Yeah, so Ashma, obviously there's no, uh, nobody who's gonna say Google's not already uh, innovative, but as you looked at what Google has been pushing people into the cloud for years, uh, now healthcare has moved to the cloud much, much faster than it was really prepared to do so. From the healthcare point of view, where do you see people making uh, good strides versus mistakes? Uh, so are we doing things a little bit faster? Uh, and if so, doing that wrong? Or has the speed actually forced us to learn faster? Because that's what speed sometimes does is that it's sometimes it's dangerous, but other times you get to see more things in a much shorter period of time. So I just love your vantage point from the Google point perspective of are people making more mistakes or are they doing better? Uh, and then what's Google doing to help support this transition uh, into a much faster uh, innovative culture? You're absolutely right. Um, in Google, our overall mission is to help connect false information and make it accessible and useful. And this mission transcends to healthcare in many, many different areas that we uh, operate in and uh, help our consumers or enterprises in. One thing I have seen from Google Cloud perspective, uh, what we saw, whether we were working with the healthcare or retail or telco in many, many different industries is our customers and all of us are living in the environment of these constraints. And these constraints help by ensuring focus. They help by ensuring urgency. And in, in the case of COVID, a higher purpose. So rather than providing like ample resources and freedoms and multi-weeks required for business cases, um, what we hear from our customers and partners, they are really, there's a sense of urgency, there's a sense of purpose, and it's imposing a much tighter deadlines or timelines. Um, so proud to be part of an organization where we're helping all of you of the industry. Um, and let's not forget what is, 
the main center of the nucleus is the common purpose to being helpful. And that's where everyone is kind of rallying behind. And in that scenario, it's not about like telehealth. Yes, telehealth is the thing that we are seeing uh, a lot more focus on. But I also wanted to step back and say, it is the innovation culture driven by urgency and a bigger purpose that has completely changed how we operate. And I, I hope this doesn't end with the pandemic, right? And, and it's not just the formula when we're in the moment of global crisis, but on a day-to-day -day basis, can we take things with a sense of urgency and, and, and address them? Um, the other thing that I learned from the patent perspective that the path forward is not always about building something new from the scratch. Right? We, we saw that example that Rasu gave, right? There's telehealth video visits happen there. Um, but it's also about the agility of, you know, of either modern IT or design thinking to combine and connect existing system in, in a new ways. So that, I, I saw that in, in many different ways in, in healthcare, as an example, we work with Cambridge Health Alliance. They, they were using G Suite and they had this meet in to, for internal communication. They completely flipped it on in terms of providing the service from patient to provider communication. So um, urgency, purpose, but also new ways of leveraging. I think that's what constraints do. That's what tight timelines, um, you know, bring forward is being creative and seeing rather than something from scratch. What can we combine together? Love that point, Ashma. I think I just have to hop in there. I think that's. How are you anchoring this in, in people and really understanding what the need is? So just to build on that point, when we when COVID hit, I we remember uh, the last meeting I had in person, we drove by the, the ship that had pulled into the port of Oakland, which was a very symbolic day of shutting things down and embracing mm -hmm. ourselves for surge. Uh, but we started thinking about the care teams themselves instantly. Mm -hmm. So what did they need? Well, in order to be great care team members, they needed childcare. In order to protect their families, they needed to quarantine uh, away from their own families. And so we started as an innovation team processing that. And we said, well, Silicon Valley loves to matchmake. There was a, a startup called Urban Sitter, which was just connecting care providers that could care for children with those people that needed it. And they put our care teams at the top of the need list. And so that was mm -hmm. great. We didn't need to innovate that ourselves. That was a a partner, Airbnb said, we've got a lot of vacancies. You have people that need to distance themselves. We're gonna prioritize healthcare workers through Airbnb. And we've seen uh, now over 800 stays at Airbnbs of people that are self-quarantining. But then to your point around, now the creatives, this is the creatives heyday. So the creatives chimed in and they took it a little further. They said, well, there's a cool company called Outdoorsy and they do Airstream rentals and mm -hmm. you know, RVs. And we're seeing these families that they don't want to leave their family, but they want to distance from their family and protect their family. So we started pulling airstreams into people's backyards and they would quarantine at a distance, but stay home. And so, you know, we didn't see a ton of uptake on that, but still it was like pushing and pushing, pushing back to your point is taking these known things and putting them together. And COVID's just providing a venue to keep trying and trying and trying. Uh, and then see what sticks. So well, I love your point. It's uh, excellent. And, and Rasu, I'm sure you're seeing a ton of that in your system as well. Yeah. And, and Rasu, if you can just chime in a little bit on that is uh, we're getting the sense that maybe there are no such thing as bad ideas. <laughs> is that true? 
Well, uh, so I, I love the conversation that we're having right now. And, and I, I think there are lots of bad ideas, Shahid. I, so I would push back on that. I, I think, uh, especially at a time like this, the imperative for systems like us, and again, this is true for smaller systems, perhaps even more true for smaller systems, is that it's important for us to weed out the signal to noise ratio, right? This is, and, and a lot of the noise that exists out there are folks, individuals, startup companies, entrepreneurs, investors, wanting to help, wanting to step in. And, and I think it's important for us to really be strategic about the way that we do innovation. And that's part of what we've been doing at Atrium Health is really tying innovation into the strategy and transformation office, really connecting it with data and analytics, connecting it with even our marketing and communication acumen so that we can look at consumers differently, like the way that I was describing earlier, but also tying it specifically to our strategic um, direction in terms of where we're going, how we're evolving as a health system, and what it means to actually come out winning. So I'll give you an example of, of an innovation that we were really um, you know, focusing in on that I think we managed to get that signal to noise ratio right. So in the, in the midst of us essentially hunkering down uh, and shutting electives off and such and, and getting ready for that surge, one of the things we said was, hey, you know, we've, been, we've been looking at this uh, point of care ultrasound. Uh, so Shahid, you know, I'm a radiologist by background, right? So we've been looking at this point of care ultrasound. Um, and I think this is the right time for us to really pull the trigger on deploying this in the front line. So, we went with this point of care ultrasound device that just had the right elements of a number of different things that I've been pushing back on point of care ultrasound for about a decade or so now, right? I, I want it for the price point to be just right. I want it for the price point to be below $2,000. I want it for the size to be just right. It needed to fit in the pocket, in the white coat. So when you're going out, uh, whether it's in a, in a tent or in the ICU uh, or in the ED, you know, you had it handy. And then thirdly, I wanted to make sure that you know, it was cloud-based and AI-driven, and 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 that's what that's what we did. So we were the first um, health system to really go live with this point of care uh, ultrasound uh, device from Butterfly, and we deployed uh, dozens of these uh, devices across more than thirty different sites across the Atrium Health uh, organization. And what we were able to see was the ease of use of these devices in the front lines, not just by uh, clinicians, but but also by uh, paramedicine staff. So when we we're doing uh, the COVID-19 virtual hospitals where, you know, we were actually going out and visiting our patients in the hospital for patients that didn't need to be in the ICUs or when they were coming in into these pop-up clinics or into the EDs, we, we had this device that suddenly could help with the triaging, you know, that was really easy to clean, uh, that was able to give that human element to how it is that we were interacting with, uh, with our patients and with our communities. So uh, uh, an innovation that really rose to the occasion, and now we're looking at what does a broader deployment of this, of this device and, and this technology really look like? Because I think that uh, this is the stethoscope of the future. I, I think that every uh, medical student, every trainee, every physician, will be walking around, not just with a stethoscope around their neck or in their white coats, but really a point of care ultrasound device that is driven by cloud and AI, which yeah. I think makes us- I love that. <laughs> I, I love that, Rasmus. But I go even more humble innovations, 
guys, for example, you talked about patient triage. Um, when COVID-19 hit, many of our pair provider customers, they were their call centers were overloaded. They were looking into, could we even reduce the call volume, right? So our AI-based conversational chatbots were deployed in the matter of days, like less than a week, they stood up this basic COVID-19 triage, what are your like basic symptom checkers based on CDC guidelines and those templates, there's AI underneath. However, in the clinical setting, it is that very humble innovation to help people who are struggling with getting these answers, getting a self-service conversational AI. And now it speaks 28 different languages, right? When we talk about health access and equity, being able to speak in their language, um, you talk about telemedicine, um, from Take as, take as an example, Google Meet. There's a thing called closed captioning. Mm -hmm. So whatever I'm saying to you, you can read it. So for people, it becomes that technology can help with that reduction of barrier between patient and the provider. We all, I always saw before this technology kind of getting in the way. In COVID-19 and with this pandemic that I'm seeing in all different fields, technology is actually bringing the connection we have. And I know this happy hours virtual will eventually fade away and we are all getting tired of it. But in the moment of crisis and in our most vulnerable moments or the moments of joy, it has connected us all. And, and I'm hopefully that will stick. This new ways and new habits are being formed. Yeah. Um, yeah, I love that. That just the mindset shift from healthcare system response prior was someone has a symptom we, you must need an appointment to, uh, our symptom checker has been ADA um, using AI through symptom checking. And the thing that inspires us about ADA is the crux of their model was, we wanna give a billion people in the world who will never see a doctor in their lifetime, something mm -hmm. in their hand uh, to get a sense of directionally what's going on with them. And just being able to complete the sentence. So ADA as a standalone company is interesting, but to complete the sentence is to go from something's wrong with me to check my symptoms to video visit within 20 minutes. Mm. That's, that's incredible. And that's just slicing back to the tedium score. In some cases that's slicing weeks off the prior way of doing it. And so, um, and having those uh, AI algorithms built for COVID quickly, it's, we saw about 200% increase on utilization of that tool. Uh, because of the need. People didn't want to come to clinics. I didn't want to go to a clinic either. Who would, who would? And can they quickly get symptom checked, video visit, and then determine it's actually necessary that you come or here's what you need to do is a, a real breakthrough. So excited about that. And again, using cloud and more AI, it's like, it's only going to get better. So this is kind of the crack that let the light in. Uh, and I think what we're seeing now, which we're very cognizant of is this is pandemic care, which is going to be different than post-pandemic <laughs> virtual care. Um, but I think we're learning a ton here and what will be similar, what can we extrapolate? And the same is true for remote work. This is pandemic remote work, which is different than the type of remote work I might do when I can see human beings in person. Um, so, you know, I think we're learning a ton about that, but making sure we're not making assumptions that the future will always be this way, it's what can we take out of this pandemic care that we believe will roll forward.
Yeah, and that's then you because I think the the new habits are being formed. Like I'll give you an example from the retail industry. Like we all are consumers, and we have been forced to break our normal routine. And more than fifty percent of shoppers had tried a new shopping service for the very first time. I can tell you, uh, from personally for me, the curbside pickup is actually time saving. So the pivotal question is. How many of these habits will stick? Exactly. Which of our operational metrics will go back to the historical averages, or is this going to be the new uh, behavior that consumers are going to stick to and will demand this new service? Like the reason telehealth, yes, there's a CMS um, reimbursement in, in health policy and in, in, in that debate, but also from the consumer standpoint, people then think they would get the same value going into the clinic versus video. And I, many of the friends and in, in the industry people that I talk to, they are finding it convenient. Like if you need a Absolutely. prescription. Absolutely. And so there's new ways and there's this new habits and new convenience that pandemic has taught us that what little we need, in some cases we need more and you absolutely need to go to the physical facility. That's right. And I think Rasu will agree that our physicians are finding that they can do far more than they thought they could. Um, virtually and i think that's been very very promising so so the, how about let's talk about the, the 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 still the elephant in the room is how are people going to get paid for all of this right uh, so currently uh there there has been a, a a massive drop in primary care massive drop in surgeries etc as far as revenue is concerned and as you start to look at these new models um are people actually getting paid for the telemedicine that they're doing or are we just hoping and praying that this, that this business model will actually work next year. So any, any thoughts on the uh, reimbursement and, and actual payment side? Yeah, I, I, think, I think the genie is out of the bottle, so, so to speak. Um, the, the challenge is, will that genie find its way back home? You know, and, and that's one of the things that we realized. I, I think this is across health systems, uh, small, medium, and large. We saw a massive uptick in in the use of virtual and and telemedicine. Um, you know, as as COVID was ramping up, uh, at Atrium Health, uh, we saw one thousand seven hundred percent increase in in those numbers of, of video visits, etc. And uh, what's happened is that those numbers are starting to ramp back down, right across the board. At Atrium, we're really pushing ahead in terms of incorporating uh, the virtual health capabilities directly into the new care models that we're actually putting in place. So like I said earlier, it's not just a Band-Aid solution. It is a, a fundamental foundation of care redesign and care transformation. But, um, but, but to your point, uh, the issue is that we're still waiting for that payment parity to be permanent. I, I think what happened was payers and CMS, uh, you know, they, they really stepped up their game in, in, the, in the midst of COVID-19 and they, they promised parity, which is awesome, but it was temporary. Uh, and we had this conversation when Secretary Azar came to visit us uh, here at Atrium Health a couple of weeks back. This was his first visit to a large health system as he was able to at least put his head up and say, all right, let me go out there and, and, uh, and, and speak to uh, health system leaders and, and visit these systems. And we, we told him, we, we thanked him for all of the work that CMS did, even in, in, in the weeks um, as, as we hunkered down in COVID-19 and provided the parity elements that I talked about. And we talked about those numbers, those statistics, but then the ask for Secretary Azar, and this is true for policy folks really across the board, was let's make this parity permanent. Because until we actually have reimbursement 
be permanent, these, these changes be permanent in place, then I, I don't think this, this is going to be uh, you know, sticky for the long haul. And I think we also have to have other reform elements, including uh, the ability to really uh, look at um, how we look at licensure. Uh, across uh, borders, right? So right now, you know, we've got multiple different uh, ways of handling licensure across state lines, and this can't happen in in, in a progressive uh, United States. So we have to look at things differently if we want the different results to be sticky. Agree with that, and just building just mental health care, for example, just part of the issue is reimbursement and why are we decoupling the mind from the body and and poorly reimbursing for uh, that and, and you could make a strong argument from a population health perspective that it's all starting there. And then, you know, mental health mm-hmm. issues, poor sleep issues, deteriorating into lifestyle diseases. And then lo and behold, the health systems kick in, but that's when things are getting expensive. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so if it were reimbursed um, on the front end and advocating for that, that will be a game changer and will re-trigger how uh, care teams deliver care and even rethinking medical school, right? It's like, what are elements that need to shift and just really excited going all the way back to what is, what is that care going to be? I think I was taking an aggressive stance up front around what if you started from scratch? That's really just a thought exercise. But the true blend is how do we take the best of what we do in care delivery and the world-class clinicians that we have and carry that forward into a new paradigm? And I think that's really thematically it sounds like where um this this group is unified oh that's great as we as we uh, as we taper out uh, towards the last few minutes um uh, ashma i'd love for you to uh, jump in and then uh, we'll ask uh, chris and rasu to close out is um as you start to think about innovation and the things you're working on at google what are you doing with your roadmap your prioritization and those kind of things what, so you had a roadmap uh, pre-covid but your roadmap post-COVID is probably tied to what uh, you know uh, Sutter and Atrium and guys like Rasu and, and Chris are asking you, what does that look like today? What are your uh, top items for your roadmap over the next uh, 12 to 18 months? And then what I'd love for uh, Rasu and Chris to do is maybe give advice to those entrepreneurs, innovators outside saying, hey guys, stop giving me this crap. Start thinking about this area, right? So if you guys can think about that while Ashma is telling us uh, what the Google roadmap looks like, uh, that'll be good. Uh, thank you. Um, I, I wanted to add one more line on the telehealth advocacy, the two words and I hear from a lot of provider systems, telehealth, no rollback. <laughs> I think we all create that a Twitter tag and probably have Rasu tweet it. <laughs> that we kind of six. We, we, we need to come together as a band and say no rollback. Yes, the reimbursements are good. But now we have a more empowered consumer, and I'm hoping that we all demand as new consumers and, and some of this will stick. Uh, coming back from our roadmap, I think what has changed is our principle is much more, it was always being helpful about serving, but that empathy in the times of COVID is very heightened. So we are working very closely with, with the industry, with academia, and, and especially with our customers, like folks like Rasu and Chris, in understanding what are the pain points. and some pain points are on the innovation. And, and um, you had mentioned earlier the cost pressure the industry is in. Like we've had health system have you know furloughs. So what could we do to be helpful in terms of cost optimization? So that's one bucket. The second is uh, the leading with 
empathy and empowerment is what tools can we build to be helpful to providers, to the frontline workers? Um, and then um, AI is much hyped word, but a lot of the response to COVID is in data and in, in science. What tools can we build and be better forecasting of the hotspot, better forecasting of where the next set of vaccines are needed? We have seen the fragility in the supply chain. So it's many different areas, but three kind of big buckets and, you know, cost optimization. So just being of service in terms of how can we lower the total cost of ownership in cloud? Like the business model is completely different. The second is um, around the empowerment and in, in leading with the empathy from the patient and providers, and then being leading the response for data and science and building those helpful uh, tools. We have Cloud Healthcare API where COVID has underscored the need for interoperability like no other event before, and, and this will stick on. Yeah. Makes sense. Uh, so, Rasu, jump in a little bit uh, uh, to maybe advise companies like Google and others. What should they be focusing on? Because it's it's always been hard uh, as entrepreneurs and innovators from the outside to read the tea leaves, figure out uh, what uh, uh, the chief information officer or the chief innovation officer, or the chief financial officer wants to buy, needs to buy. Now it's got to be maybe a little bit easier because you're the the focus has been narrowed as you said earlier uh, it, it it removes uh the noise and you you're left with a signal hopefully then and what is that signal and what should you be telling uh entrepreneurs uh, right now to focus on yeah um so ashima mentioned the word um a, a trigger word she said she said um interoperability and and i have to comment on that i think the advice uh and the way that we're looking at things at atrium health is I think it's important for us to widen the aperture on interoperability, right? For the longest time, interoperability was all about, hey, let's look at um, having one EMR system interoperate with another EMR system, and maybe at best we have claims data coming in from the pair, and wait, wow, that's interoperability, and let's have some buyer interfaces and APIs, and boom, you know, rock and rolling. I think what COVID has shown us is that the walls between um, healthcare, where it's traditionally resided, which is in medicine, and public health have forever come down, right? And I think it's important for us to understand that we need to broaden the aperture, even around interoperability, so that we're really bringing in data elements that are well outside of the walls of health systems and medicine in general. It's not just about uh, meds, allergies, immunizations, problems, labs, and maybe claims data. It's also about social determinants data. It's about zip codes. It's about public health data that maybe health systems traditionally weren't in the business of managing. And so working closely with you know, uh, analytics capabilities, cloud capabilities. Um, we're looking at syndromic surveillance. We're looking at you know, sharing data across larger health systems so that we can track the next pandemic, but also we would be able to leverage geo, um, geomapping capability, geospatial capabilities to really look at those hotspots and really make an impact um, in, in communities that are being underserved. Right. And we saw that even in the in the southeast here, we saw that, you know, the African-American populations and the Latino populations and the communities were not getting the testing resources like the other zip codes were. And we're able to hotspot those and immediately send out our mobile testing units. And as a result of that, we saw the numbers actually stack up against each other, where we saw the same level of testing in all of the zip codes in the areas that we serve. So it's those sorts of innovations where we have to widen the aperture. We have to think of healthcare well beyond the walls of medicine, where we've 
traditionally recited, but then really be innovative about thinking of whole person and whole community care versus just sick care, which is where healthcare has been focused in on for the longest time. Yeah, so, and, and Chris, we'll have you take us home here in a second, but uh, Rasu, tell us a little bit about, is there any room for anything other than COVID-related pandemic kind of care? Like there's obviously, you have a huge health system, you must be buying other stuff, uh, you must be uh, working on innovations that are not directly related to COVID. What are those and what's still alive even beyond COVID? Oh, absolutely. I think COVID is just the spark that lights up the, the fire of how we need to think about healthcare transformation, right? Uh, so all of the things that I've mentioned, whether it's around the point of care ultrasound or whether it's around the geomapping capabilities, that's just a spark. And the, and the fire is really about care transformation overall. Fire is about leveraging population health and precision medicine, but really saying, all right, how do we focus in on that whole person care versus you know, just managing uh, the specific elements of, say, virtual care or the specific elements of what goes on in the ICUs or these pop-up clinics. It is about looking at that much more holistically. Yeah, it makes sense. So, Chris, uh, uh, we'll give you the last word here. Yeah. Uh, two yeah. things. Uh, one is focused on uh, what advice would you give to entrepreneurs and others that, that, that want to work on new things? What should they focus on? And what beyond COVID is Sutter still focused on where uh, things that you're looking from the community for? Yeah, so I think this is a really amazing time to, to integrate information uh, and whether that's Google Cloud or or other um, abilities to do so. Before COVID, it was fires in Northern California. And the example I like to use is we knew the Tubbs fire was burning out of control. We knew the wind had just shifted. We knew who our asthmatic patients are. We knew who needed a refill. And what did we do? Nothing, we waited because weather data is not incorporated with the healthcare record. Yep. And so that ability to, to link that information has never been simpler. It's still complicated, but it's exponentially simpler than it was before. And so I think uh, there's a big opportunity to, for startups to just know that they sit in an ecosystem and for cloud-based operators to know that you're the ultimate consolidator of the patient 360 um, to make really informed uh, decisions. And so, um, you know, diabetes management, for example, right now, a patient could go to Livongo, they could go to Amada, they could go to Verda, they could, you know, and so what happens is it gets fragmented and then you, it, so unfortunately, the patient themselves loses track. So they may have a mental health issue, diabetes and uh, uh, heart disease, and they're, they're literally broken across a bunch of different entities and startups that are trying uh, with good reason to help them out, but they're not consolidated back again into a, a central plan uh, and a central unit. The last thing I would say uh, to close this out is, don't be afraid to start with the underserved. I think these are where some of the greatest yeah. problems are. And I, I don't quite understand um, often when the startups don't see business opportunity there. So the, an example I would use here is this, there was a single patient in the state of California on Medi-Cal that cost the state $30 million. And ultimately that was where all the taxpayers that paid all of those bills from a patient coming in and out of the ER not well, not well maintained, coming in and out of different systems. And so I'm encouraged by organizations and startups like CityBlock out of Google um, that are starting with that population saying, this is actually the beginning. This isn't the, the group that the learnings from the high end, we'll figure that out and then we'll go to the rural communities. Like, no, start with the rural communities, start with the underserved communities. 
these are where some of the greatest breakthroughs are, and then spiral it to different groups uh, where those those start centers are. And so I'd like to see more starts in the underserved uh, communities, not just prompted by what we're seeing today, which has really amplified that, but those opportunities existed before all this. And, and if, if nothing else, they're good venture backed opportunities to go after those. They're not just uh, because people are trying to do the right thing. They're because if we solve this, we'll crack the code on some of the economics and why it costs uh, the nation so much to run these. So, Really excited about what cloud brings, what the startup community can bring. And I think the proxies, like big, big traditional healthcare systems have all the patients, they've got the physicians. Startups have the agility, the ability to pivot their models, they're fast moving, and they're really complementary to each other um, and excited about what this era will bring. Uh, and big collaborators like Google and others to really advance that by saying what you need is a platform uh, to unify some of this thinking. No, that sounds terrific. And, and you know, one of your uh, local citizens, uh, Chris, uh, Mark Andreessen, recently wrote a blog post on, uh, uh, or was it a tweet storm? I can't remember which one it was, but he was asking, why don't we build things anymore? Um, and it was a good, you know, broad question, uh, basically meant for hopefully the uh, entrepreneurship class and, and the venture capital class where there is a lot of money still there. And I think the biggest trick here is if we, uh, let's say on the entrepreneur, innovator, et cetera side, don't have a pathway to the Chris's and the Rasus of the world, then the Ashimas of the world will make the wrong things, right? And so what I'm wondering is here, and this is, you know, we'll, we'll leave this as an open question for uh, audiences so they can ask uh, as, uh, as, as we step off stage, is where does the um, uh, money come from uh, in healthcare to do the right thing? There is no business model in healthcare, in American healthcare at least, uh, to do the right thing. But this is one of those times when we've seen the government, for example, step away from certain areas and then the states jump in, states step away and localities step in. Uh, we've had you know, uh, organizations like the uh, COVID-19, uh, the HCC-19, uh, I think is, it's called, where uh, the, the, the convalescent plasma and other things uh, were coordinated by completely non-federal, non-government uh, type of entities. So what we've seen here is, that maybe there is a business model to do the right thing, and that by doing the right thing, we'll end up with uh, fairly profitable, long-term kind of solutions, but we have to kind of look beyond the next uh, 18 months uh, for the revenue, and that only, you know, the big players and the VCs and the private equity firms, et cetera, they can afford that, uh, but it, hopefully uh, they're not shying away from those startups that do go to the rural settings. They're not shying away from the startups that do uh, start with the underserved communities, and my guess is, um, that you know, places like Google Ventures, places like Atrium, et cetera, can actually push that and say to our uh, um, venture communities is to say, start funding those guys and we will talk with you about it, right? That's what I'm seeing lacking uh, it, at, at this time. And so uh, I wanted to just thank our uh, panelists here, uh, you know, Ashma from uh, Google, uh, Atrium's uh, Rasu, and uh, Chris from uh, Sutter. Uh, appreciate you guys uh, spending the time here. We're going to open it up uh, for questions from the rest of the Health Impact audience. And uh, of course, we're all online all the time. Uh, feel free to reach out to us. Uh, all, all of our contact information is going to be on the Health Impact uh, website. And we appreciate it. Thank you very much. Thank you for joining us for this week's Health Impacts Digital Health Talk. Don't miss another podcast. Subscribe at digitalhealthtalks.com. And to join us at our next face-to-face -face event, visit healthimpactlive.com.